Um, and it's a text about which I want to state up front that I have a certain amount of ambivalence. I want to read it closely, and I'm hoping that there'll be pushback um, to address it. It's the Nesiv in Hamek Devar. Um, so I, have, I always, I love Nesiv, but this is on a subject that I'm sensitive about, and I don't know that we're in exactly the same page, so I want to read it together. It deals with the issue of, uh, of chosenness. Um, so I have very strong commitments uh, I guess, you know, to say I'm, I'm roughly a Kantian, which means that I think that every human being has to be a, a, an end and not a means, and that they're, you know, the fundamentally fundamental element of Kim is shared by all human beings, and so any conception of chosenness, uh, for me, uh, has to meet those commitments. Um, usually the way in which I, you know, I approach that, which is rhetoric, it's not yet a substantive philosophy, is by um, limiting chosenness to the uh, Chosenness to the idea of responsibility. Uh, I like quoting uh, Rezaki Kamenetsky's statement in uh, his in the the work compiled from his uh, Shabbos afternoon shurim on uh, Pirkei Avos, uh, where he says that a concept of chosenness that doesn't include conversion, adding up to exactly you know, making you an, a full Jew equivalent to all Jews, is uh, he calls it gizanut, is racism, and uh, he, call, he uses worse words about it. And utterly unacceptable. Um, but even saying that the difference between that chosenness adds ad amounts to responsibility doesn't solve the problem as such. Uh, if you see it as a problem, because responsibility can can create uh, distinctions that um, that matter in terms of which of um, in terms of how you whether you treat all human beings as fellow humans quite the same way. Um, so the Nesiv I'm going to you know, forecast in advance. He deals with a distinction in terms of responsibility. He deals with a text that uh, I have struggled with for a long time. It's a text, part of which I wrote an article about on how, how to teach uh, morally challenging texts to high school students. Um, and he addresses it in the context of responsibility. And yet I'm still not sure in the end that he comes up with a theology that makes me at all happy, but I think it, it at least uh, deserves reading and reading thoroughly. Um, uh, and then in the end, we'll have to make up our, our mind about uh, what we think about it. Um, Okay, so with that, I'm going to um, put the current uh, in the chat, but I'm also going to share screen because I think it's really the goal is just to read it together. Um, and please do feel free to interrupt me uh, or put things in the chat as you please um, to um, to challenge me or to see right or to uh, um, or to see whether um, see what, you know, to agree or to agree or disagree. Challenge me in the initiative and to. Talk about how you take the right, how you regard the ideas the ideas in the team. So we're going to start um, right the the parsha b'chukotai begins Whether this is really the beginning, whether that's really where the parak break should be, is not our interest now. For our purposes, and we'll take that. And and uh, and parsha b'chukotai has a structure that looks uh, superficially to be very balanced. Right, there's the situation. And then there's the the imbichukotai tim asu part of it, right? And the imbichukotai telechu thing leads to lots of rewards, and the imbichukotai tim asu thing leads to lots uh, leads to lots of punishments. Um, I have argued elsewhere uh, that this is not an exactly parallel structure, um, but for our purposes it will do. And there are all sorts of approaches that are built fundamentally on looking at it in that structure. And let's take a look at how the Nesiv begins introducing the issue. Um, from a Parshanu perspective, and then we'll see how he, he deals with it from a theological perspective. So he says, Im So the first thing he says is, don't give me the Rashi answer. Ein lefaresh chukotai mitzvot she'ein bahem tam. 
don't say that the Mikhuk Saisa Lesa means that you dafka follow those mitzvot that are um, irrational, that have no humanly intelligible purpose. And it's an interesting reason as to why. Why would the Torah talk about them? It sounds like there's a bias here, right? That they're the they're the they are not as important as the um intelligible mitzvot. So if you right, they might if, even if you concede both kinds of mitzvot, which as you know is a is a machloket, um still why would you lead with the chukmin? Okay. Secondly he says, Secondly, it says wait, it doesn't say chukim mishpatim, it says chukim bet mitzvotai tishmaru, so if that's the case, so then uh, mitzvotai is a broader term and includes chukim. So now you're, you're saying A and then A plus B. That seems to him not be to not be a uh, a good structure. Mishumachi he says Pirish Rashi b'shem Akaraskonim. Rashi says in the name of right, the Medrash, uh, Medrash Halacha, right? Shetiyu amelim b'Torah. Okay, so this line Shetiyu amelim b'Torah is a line that is much beloved in um, in yeshivot. Um, and the truth is, I think I hear it in my mind in Rav Lichtenstein's uh, uh, voice. Um, everyone tries, what does it mean to be Amelim B'Torah as opposed to just Shetomidu Torah? Um, and Shetiv loves, loves, uh, loves it as well. Um, but as opposed to his usual reading here, the right, this is part of why it's really interesting. is usually, the whole bias of his commentary is to make everything about Talmud Torah. And there is a lot of stuff in this parak that he makes about Talmud Torah as well. But this time he's not, right, he's going to go away from his usual bias and move us into a somewhat larger picture than just saying everything is about Talmud Torah. Right, so he says, Shetiyu HaMelem B'Torah, right, so again, Chayishuvi loved that, that everything that really matters is, right, it's just about being more and more intense in Torah. The whole Brit, the whole Talmud is built on, you know, on, on intense, sweaty absorption in Torah. But Lefizet, it says, Mashmod Chukosai, and he says, if that's right, that we're talking about a melin b'torah, so then what are the chukim? What does it mean to be to be holech in the chukim? Right, so Nitziv's general explanation of, of, a, of a chuk is not a an irrational mitzvah, rather a chuk is a rule of interpretation by which other laws are produced. Uh, right, they're the patterns, the, engrave, the engravings in, out of, right, of which other mitzvot, uh, which other mitzvot follow. So Shetiyu Melim B'Torah fits in beautifully here. We say, right, it means you have to be engaged in the, right, deeply in the process of interpreting Torah uh, so as to produce, right, so as to produce law. But he says, Aval Biraba Isa, but the Medrash Agada, it does not say Shetiyu Melim B'Torah. Instead, what it says is, Chukot Shechokakti Behem Shamayim Va'aretz Ve'od Harbe Yesod Olam Kimivor Sham. It means, the chukim, the chuk, uh, right, the chukot, uh, right, it's, plur- it's, uh, it's feminine here. I don't think that Nitziv um, is any consistent. I don't know anybody who's consistently distinguishing chukim and chukot, although uh, maybe it was Roger Ron who would tell us that the Malbim has such an, um, such an explanation. Um, so he says that, Rabbis, that the chukim here doesn't mean the chukim of the, of, of by which Torah is made. It means the chukim which I have used as the pattern, right, they still use chukim are the things are the the fundamental patterns out of which other things emerge. But here it's the things that right that are the patterns of heaven and earth. The od harbe olam and other yisodei olam. If you look at the medrash, it's actually talking about uh, the sea. Um, maybe that weakens it. Maybe not. Okay. So now, what does that mean? Right. What does it mean? Meaning that you should follow in the patterns 
by which God created heaven and earth. The laws by which God created heaven and earth. So there might be a strong temptation, especially of a philosophic bent, to say, ah, he's talking about something like what we call natural law. Right? The idea that if you just look at the world, you'll, dis- you'll determine some form of, uh, behavior- of behavioral norms. Um, right? There's a whole debate right, whether, in fact, there is such a thing. Um, there's a debate about whether the Ramam has such a thing. This is a machloket, I think, between um, Rav and Fox. And um, I forget who the other side famously is. Um, Fox does not believe in natural law. Um, there is the Rutzenstein has an article in which he challenges the notion, uh, challenges the notion of the Chazal. There are famous examples people cite. I think uh, David Novak is the uh, primary exponent of a claim that natural law is Tamim Chazal. And there's a famous case, right? You look at the you look at the uh, the ants and the cat and things like that, and you learn things from them. And Rabbi points out, but you know, all these animals have other have other uh, have other characteristics as well. We don't want to learn all the characteristics. We can learn busyness from the ants, but should we also learn lack of autonomy, whatever it may be? Um, so there isn't really a good argument uh, for natural law in uh, in Chazal as a formal philosophic um, concept. And I don't think that's what Nitziv means here either. Right, so it says, This is what this is what how what he understands Midrash Rabba to be saying when it says that to follow the chukim you're the chukot you're supposed to follow are the chukot uh, via which heaven and earth um, were uh, were developed. Okay, so what he says it is not a question of following predetermined patterns. It's a question of doing the things that sustain heaven and earth. Um, okay, so it's not right. So right. So the, to, the, to follow God's chukot is to do the things that sustain the physical world. And this is a This is a condition that God is asking from us. She asked that we should do this so that the the world is maintained in some form of order. Okay. So if, if you say that im just means it, and it's an unbiased it, right? If you do this, that, and if you don't do this, that, and the, right, and the person making the condition doesn't care which way it comes out, it's just a description. So then, to what extent? Why does it? Why does the Torah describe it as Kulkot Shemayim Baaretz? Let it just say, uh, right, the, the laws, right? So there's a whole move being made, right? We are assuming the Medrash's interpretation. Not only are we assuming the Medrash's interpretation, we're assuming that the Torah is ex- just about explicitly saying the Medrash's interpretation, uh, so that we can now ask, why does the Torah bother saying, right, bother saying this when it didn't have to? Okay, but we can boil the question down to, why does the Torah here describe the rules that we are supposed to follow as the rules by which that sustain heaven and earth as opposed to simply the right, the proper behavior and the answer for him is that that is a a, 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 a tell that God has an interest in which side we choose okay um, so now we're going to go back from Medrash Rabba's Torah's Koinim. Uh, even though he says right in Torah's Kodim says Shu Amelim Batorah, but he's gonna cross he's gonna cross connect. and we can cross connect them by saying that the Gemara quotes this uh, quotes this as well. Im Bechukosai, Ain Im Elalashon Vakasha. 
So Chenu Omer Lu Ami Shomeli. So Im, so right, Im here doesn't mean if in the sense of hmm, okay, if or not. Yes, if if implies please do this. And because the according to another pasuk, the other pasuk doesn't prove that Im can be a, a tell. It just proves that God wants us to keep the mitzvah. Lu Ami Chduami Shomeli. So Perish Hai Im Hulashon. Okay. Okay. So fine. That is a um, that's his first stage, right? So he 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 is attracted by the claim that the that Chukotai here means Chukot Baris. He is not in any way tempted by a uh, by by a claim that this means that we should follow the laws by learning them from heaven and earth. So because they are the laws of heaven and earth, that gives him authority. This, what he says is we should follow them because they sustain heaven and earth, and sustaining heaven and earth is not something we do out of self-interest. It's something that we that we should do because, among other reasons, or that God wants us to do. Okay. Be'eshel habin. So we can we have to understand. Mehechan evinu chazal Where did chazal get the idea that im is a request for him? V'yam bi'karhanyan, and at the core of the matter is. So, first of all, where did they get the idea that Im is Lashon Bakasha? Um, he already has his own answer for that, is that, um, that if that's, why would we bother talking about Kukot Shemayim Baris unless in some way it, has, it, it betrays God's interest? And secondly, what does it mean that God wants us to follow the mitzvot? Uh, right, so what, what does that mean beyond these are the mitzvot that God commanded? So here's his. Here's where he comes up with his. Um, his really, I think his his um, his big move. So the, the Gemara of Azara um, says, "Here's the proof." There's a pasuk that says, We're not going to talk about what that pasuk might or might not mean in context. We're going to function entirely in terms of the Gemara. So in terms of Gemara, right, there is a, a statement that says, what does that Pasuk Ra'ah by the mean? It means, Ra'ah she'enu Moshe olam mikaymin zayin mitzvot shalhem, amad v'hitir lahem. So God saw that the shev, that the rest of the world, all the world at that point, was not keeping the Shev Mitzvot b'noach, and so he, right, he just, he, right, he, he permitted them, right, he just said, okay, there's no purpose in having a legal system if people aren't listening to it. Like Gzeira she'en rova tzibur Right, so people were breaking it, so God just said, "Okay, it's not law anymore." Lamaksha Gemara. So the Gemara says, "It's guri, it's guri mitzgar." Right, this doesn't make any sense at all. What happens then? Right, so that what we're doing is we're making, uh, uh, we're rewarding people for law breaking. If you break the law enough, so then we just uh, right, so then you're no longer punishable. So that sounds like a violation of the principle of mitzgar, that people shouldn't be able to gain a legal advantage by breaking the law. Now, the truth is, there are cases where 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 that has to happen. Uh, you know, if you break a, if enough people break a minute, it stops being a minute. Um, we talked about Zerush and Rova both, or maybe at least Maharaj Chayas thinks that if everybody stops keeping a drabanan, so then in fact that stops being an enforced drabanan. Most people don't think that. They think that the rule that you can't make a zera that most people most people can't stand up with is judged at the outset of a zera, and it's not that any later time. But you can certainly make such an argument that it means that. So the Gemara's question isn't absolute, but the Gemara takes it as an absolute question. It can't be that because 
people didn't keep the Shav Mitzvah Penoach, that God just decided that um, that they didn't have to anymore. Right? That seems like a, a grave disincentive. And what is left then? Right? Is that the, right? I think that the deeper question, which the Gemara doesn't ask, is do you really mean that God has no interest in what human beings do? That he's just ab- right, abandoned the world from a uh, from a normative perspective. So the Gemara answers an answer that seems to uh, put the problem entirely the other direction. And Hashanish ain't mekabling skara. Right. So, so it doesn't mean that they're allowed to do it. It just means that they don't, they no longer get uh, get rewarded for doing it. So that's a very odd thing, right? No longer get rewarded for doing it. Um, so the assumption is that uh, they still get punished, right? They, it's not that they're removed from the realm of skar ve'ones, but they're just removed from the realm of skar. So that is really a uh, a serious problem. Um, so the Gemara then says, "Umakshe." The Gemara asks, "How can you say shein mekabim skar that they don't receive reward?" But we have a brisa which uh, which gives uh, summarizes. Asher ha'adam which is also uh, here, right? Afilu oved kochavim she'osek b'torah. So the Gemara there, the, the Gemara there, and that's a, a, a challenge in its own right. The Gemara says, how can you claim that non-Jews don't get reward for doing the Sheva Mitzvot after the, uh, for keeping the Sheva Mitzvot, right? Moshe Maluka says, after the, uh, after whatever this moment is, which we're going to assume is at the moment, uh, before Matan Torah, uh, but there's a, there's a brisa which says that even Oved Kochavim Shosek Torah, even a non-Jew who engages in Torah, is Harayuki Kohen Gadol, and so we try and figure out Harayuki Kohen Gadol. What does that mean? It means that um, it means that uh, they get lots of rewards. That's the Gemara's uh, the the apparent impression of the Gemara, and the response is in Mashani the Gemara answers She'en Mekabim Skarki Mitzuvah Osa Ela Kolo Mitzuvim Vosim. So they still get reward. But they get reward um, less than they would do if they were doing something commanded. But they still get punished as if they were commanded. So this doesn't make any sense at all, uh, at all either. Um, really, if you try, like, try and try and make it um, coherent, it's problematic. It's kind of, I guess, an idea like the eagle. The eagle's punishment is delayed forever, and maybe you, know, you could try and argue that what you know, here, here the punishment is amortized, right? So you know, God takes all the reward for. Of if Mitzvah Osa for uh, forever in history, and says, okay, so I won't wipe the world out now because even though that's what your punishment really deserves, because I'm amortizing, right? You're ju- you're just going to be stuck with uh, student debt forever. I don't know how morally satisfying that is. The Gemara of Bavabasra, when it quotes the same, so he quotes it from Avodazara. The Gemara of Bavakama um, follows this with a story which has as its um, as its m- moral. That God never shortchanges anybody their reward. Talking about uh, talking about the uh, talking about non-Jews and their reward being uh, having having children who convert. It's a um, but I, I always argue that it's you know it's obviously deliberately ironic to have a, a resolution by saying oh the, the don't worry they don't get the reward that they really deserve. Followed by a story which says the moral of the story is that God never shortchanges anybody. So this is very problematic in its own right. But the Mishnah does not have that problem. So we're not going to get there. And also, um, I have argued that Afilo Ved Kochavim Shosek Batorah, in its original context, uh, and that is it didn't refer to non-Jews who remain non-Jews, it referred to non-Jews who converted. But that's plainly not what it means in the Gemara here. The Gemara here uses it um, to deal with the question of the Shev HaMitzvot. Um, so those are side issues in terms of what that Gemara means. For our purposes, what Nitziv emerges with is a... Um, 
is a Gemara which says that for that after Matan Torah, non-Jews still get reward, but not the reward of a Mitzvah Okay, and here the Shiv, the Shiv um, right asks what I think are the the sensible questions. He says one, um, one he says, Vitorch uh, Biur, Heach Mashba Hamimlita Sakatu Vraava Yatzer Goyim. The first question is just a linguistic question. Sounds like he permitted, that he untied. What does it have to do with Scharve Ones? Right? Right? That sounds like it's dealing with something that's at the fundamental level and not on a level of, of what you get rewarded for. That's a good question. And then he asks the, 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 um, the fundamental question here, which is, Really, they are commanded. So he doesn't quote the Gemara in Babakama, but he just asks the question, what kind of solution is this to say that people are doing the same thing they were doing previously under the same regimen, right, same command, and yet all of a sudden their reward is reduced? And the reward is explicitly not the reward it's supposed to be. Okay, so here's, here's his answer. Um, he says, this is, this is what he intends. What you should understand is reward and punishment from mitzvot are not at the um, they're not decisions of the king. So sorry, I skipped the line. Uh, so when we talk about reward and punishment from mitzvot. We, d- we don't mean that God, as king, has the, c- has the arbitrary power to decide when he wishes to give reward and when not. Ella, right, the proper understanding of, of, of Scharnonish, and this you recognize, this is uh, an idea that Rambam is very strong on, but many, you can come from many different perspectives and still, uh, still come up with, this, um, with an idea like this, with, various, with many different uh, important nuances. Rather, reward and punishment are, are spiritual medical prescriptions. And what they say is, do these things and you'll be rewarded with health. Don't do these things and you'll be, and you'll, and you'll be punished with ill health. Those are not the doctor's decisions. The doctor is being descriptive, and then you can decide which one you want. Right? So, um, right, so the, doctor do, right, the doctor, in that sense, doesn't necessarily have a rooting interest. Um, and we'll see how, how tightly the metaphor works. So there's a doctor who warns you off these foods because they punish. Um, he's not telling you that I will punish you if you eat these foods. He's telling you this is the way the world, nature was created, that if you eat these things, you will suffer ill health. Right, so also mitzvot and right, sins and uh, good deeds and sin, mis- and sins, whatever you want to call it, we have observances and transgressions. <laughs> they were founded by God. <laughs> so God set up the world. He's very careful not to say that there's something that exists independent of God's will, but God's will, God set up the world in such a way that <laughs> follow naturally from observance and transgressions, and right, and they're not anymore a function that God just tells you, I will will reward and punishment. Okay, that also assumes all sorts of interesting uh, notions about exactly, you know, how the world functions in terms of the will of God and Ramban, and right, it's, you know, does, does 
you know, is are there things that don't happen by direct will to be destroyed? But that's not that for our purposes we're gonna will be uh, straightforward theologically and claim but you know that it, it's as if the world goes on its own and without any right and God doesn't have to do anything it doesn't have to exercise any, any kind of independent act of will to reward you for a mitzvah or punish you for an avera. The world is just set up that way. Right, so that pasuk is fun, right? Figure out does it that really mean you're supposed to read that pasuk, you know, as from the mouth of that's the way the Medrash reads it, from the mouth of the uh, of the Almighty, uh, right? The bad and the good don't come, right? That's because God's not coming to the mouth of the Almighty. God already, God already said, I'm putting it before you, bracha al right? Or we could read it in context as right? Okay, right. So we could read it, that's one of the psukim that can be read with uh, with with um, incredulity or not. And see, of course, the Medrash is not reading with incredulity. So, okay, that's our vision of ordinary starvonis. Starvonis just happens. Okay. Um, okay. Um, so now he says, "Varezeh kimos starvonis shav harofei." So this is like the reward and punishment of the doctor. She'en harofei ma'anish klal bidiato shavar adam hazarato. Right, the, the the doctor doesn't punish you when he finds out when he finds out that a person violated his caution. the person is punished by themselves. And it's not like the punishment of a king, which requires a decision and and an action on the part of the ruler. Okay, right. So we can talk about what how. How monarchies really function, right? Is this true? Right? Of all political, is it all political systems? Is it Dafka arbitrary kings? Not our issue right now. Okay. Now he says, "V'medrash Tehillim Kuflamidbet Mavur Ba'arusos Inyan Ha'Onshin." Right. So he explains in great length the matter of punishments. Shu Mashal LeRofe Shivkir LeChole. Right. That it's the 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 parable given is a doctor who warns the the patient, "Don't do these things." Vosov Shen Nasha Chole when the when the uh, when the patient actually suffers, Amar right? So he confesses, I brought this upon myself. Okay, so far we're still on that side of the equation we get perfectly well. And his claim is that in the ordinary run of things, that's what Tzarv Onish means, God sets up a system, and presumably this was the system for the Sheva Mitzvot, and it is the system that we have now at the Matan Torah. If you do the, if, right, if you do the things that God sets up as the things you ought to do, then good things happen. If you do the things that God sets up as the thing you ought not to do, then bad things happen. Okay, now we says, Now we, there's a question that's really worth asking. Does God want us to keep the mitzvot? Is the, right, is the will of the commander um, that the mitzvot be fulfilled? Or is he like a doctor who warns and informs that he doesn't really care that a doctor, whether the patient, whether the person follows his caution? Because why should the doctor care? So this is a very odd portrait of a doctor. Very, very odd portrait of a doctor. Doctors really don't care what the outcome is. They just are computer diagnosticians who tell you that 
And so I want to hold on to that because it may be that it's very important that that portrait of the doctor is unrealistic, or it may be that's really what the New Testament Jew thinks of doctors, right? That you pay the doctor, the doctor gives you the prescription, and then it's up to you. And if you don't follow the prescription, the doctor says, okay, serves you right. Okay. But he says, Allah the met, enilkin. But the truth is that that's not what God is. God wants us to do some mitzvot. So what is God similar to? He's like a doctor who right, who cautions his son. He really, really wants the son to right, to follow the prescription. So that the son will stay alive. And here's right, the powerful rhetorical shift. And that um, by doing this, right, when the son follows the doctor, the prescriptions, he preserves the world of the father, right? So the son is the world of the father. And so the father has an absolutely powerful interest in my son, the patient, right? That's why I called the title my son, the patient, right? So now this is obviously playing off the, um, the, right, the Mishnah that, um, that right, uh, the Adam has a chiba yitera that the Tzitzel Melokim, the chiba Tzitzel Melokim, and Yisrael has chiba yitera, right? Chiba yitera is an ikru banim lamachem, right? So right, so that right, that's one of the classic sources for allowing every human being to be Tzitzel Melokim, and yet this, if we want to explain chosenness, we use the metaphor of of uh, par- of the fi- a filial metaphor, right? Of parents and of of, of uh, parents and child. So here, can we see it says let's adapt that here that there is the doctor, the impersonal doctor, and the doctor treating um, right, treating their child. Um, okay. So not only is there a difference in the um, in the in the um, in the attitude of the doctor, there's that dif- that difference is also expressed in the way in which the doctor articulates the prescription. Even though in terms of the substance of the prescription, there is no difference. There's a difference in the way in which the doctor expresses it. Because when the doctor cautions his son, so he tells him, in addition, right, he tells him, if you're cautious, not only will you be healthy, I'll also give you toys. Right, the doctor incentivizes the patient to follow the prescription by means other than the natural outcome of the prescription. Because the doctor is afraid that the son might not think that the health is worse, or it might not believe him, so he has to, but he puts in external incentives as well. But when you um, when you're prescribing for someone else's child, then you don't um, you don't promise toys. You just say do this, and you'll be healthy. You let their parent promise them toys, I guess. So that's because. It's the the diligence of the son in car- in carrying out the prescription that sustains the world of the doctor, because the doctor doesn't want right the 
son's health is right, is really the doctor's uh, right. But I'm not gonna fill in whatever metaphor, emotion, emotional aspect you want for claiming that children are the whole world of the uh, of their parents. And that's not true in terms of someone else's child. Okay, so now we move to the. Um, uh, you know, I'm going to stop for a second. And uh, right before we go to draw the moral. So, does someone have such comments? Like, is this a. Does that strike you as a good portrayal? Or does the, is the, the doctor treating someone else's child a moral doctor? Is that uh, does that does that um, correspond to your visions of what doctors ought to be? I think, right, so I think that's right. Someone else want to say, yes? So I think that's right. I think there's a, there's, Sam, do you want to say something? I think those are there, there are two really good distinctions there. Um, I like both of them. One is the idea, I think the way Marty set it up, there's a false dichotomy because uh, the city says there's a doctor who doesn't care, and so there's right and then right, but that you can say look the doctor cares. That's why you went into medicine because you want people to be healed, but it doesn't mean right. That doesn't mean that you can't care more about your family. Right, I think that's uh, that's um, that's one distinction, right? So you don't have to make it as as sharp as the Mitzvah does. We'll have to see whether when he spells out the metaphor, the metaphor requires that degree of sharpness or not. And the second thing, as Sam says, is you know what? There's a point at which it's inappropriate to uh, right. It's not appropriate probably for a doctor to give toys to other other people's children for them to um, 
these things, and especially now if it's not children, if it's adults, people get to make their own decisions. Um, this is bribery, and maybe if bribery is not really a real, the interesting thing, what would we think about doctors who gave lollipops to kids who followed their prescription? We'd probably say, okay, sort of. It gets very expensive if you give every kid a lollipop. You know, at some point that gets, that gets charged to other people, so the costs get amortized. Um, I think that there are ways in which we can, you know, just be like the job of a doctor is to say, look, this is the thing that will get you healthy, and I want you to be healthy, but to make it the doctor's decision, do this because of me, that might be a boundary issue. Um, you know, some doctors do it brilliantly, and we, appl- and we applaud, and other doctors um, find it very inappropriate because they're, not, right, they're, they're infringing on autonomy, and what the boundary is is really a challenge. So I think that's a great question to ask about this as well and to see how it plays out. Sassy, do you want to say something? Mm-hmm. That's really interesting that uh, I can see Rabbinu Tom coming up with an idea like that. Um, interesting. Okay, terrific. Let's go back now and let's play and let's and let's watch how the Nitziv plays. In. Yes, somebody else have a yes, Mark. Yeah, it could be. Interesting. I mean, th- this is a dialogue that takes place often in certain kinds of... Uh, certain kinds of fantasy novels, I think, where, uh, right, where there's, there's, usually, there's usually a young idealistic acolyte who tells the doctor, you have to go further, you have to push them, but the doctor says, I prescribed and it's up to them now. Um, and it may be that, um, that the notion of the doctor as being deeply invested as your ideal is a modern notion and that classically it just interferes with your judgment. Um, that's, uh, that's also fair. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, good. Yes. I think that is true of contemporary doctors, and I'm sure you're talking from experience also. Um, 
I think that's true. You know, I, I think that you know, my sister knew that she wanted to be a doctor when she was very, very young, and that was not because uh, of the inherent intellectual interest. Although, you know, it as ways to help people, it has more intellectual interest than others. Um, but I think that what Marty is wondering is whether that's a social construct that you could imagine a world, let's say, in which um, fundamentally doctors want to, you know, what doctors are are philosophers who have to make a living. And what they really want to do, right, you know, what they really want to do is just, you know, obviously to some extent you have the Ramam, you know, in your head in this way, you know, that, that it's just, you know, if really you want to sit and you want to study philosophy all day or learn, learn Gemara all day, but you have to make a living, so you go into medicine, but that, Okay, let's right, let's hold that as a machloket for now, because I think it's going to matter a great deal, right? Let's let's play out the nimshal now, and I think that which of the whether you think the model of the wholly disinterested doctor is realistic is going to matter a great deal in either how you evaluate nitziv or what you think nitziv is saying, and whether it works. So let's go back to um, go back to nitziv, and here he, here's here he right, here here he comes in and, and lands the right lands the medicine. Says, so this distinction we just drew between the impersonal doctor and the doctor treating their child as patient, that is the difference between the way God gives reward to Jews for doing mitzvot after Matan Torah and the way he gives rewards to um, non-Jews for keeping the Shev mitzvot after that. Yisrael, because Jews, not only do we get reward for doing the mitzvot, we get a separate reward, we get the toys, because by doing the mitzvot, we keep the world, right? We sustain the world. And God wants us to sustain the world. I'm not sure I'm, I'm parsing that right, but I have a footnote down here. Um... Um, okay, I'm I'm not reading it properly right now, but I think the outcome is clear, right? God seems to say that um, that you right that you are sustaining the world when you do uh, when you when you do mitzvot. Uh, the world does not depend on them. That's what it means. It doesn't mean that God told them it's okay to violate Shev Mitzvot now. It means, and right, this is why I have to figure out whether this is the same kind of move, it means that he removes the meta-responsibility of doing Mitzvot. So now, now, if you're not Jewish, you have to do Mitzvot because of the right thing to do, and you shouldn't do Avera because of the wrong thing to do. But the world will survive whatever decision you make. Until Matan Torah, the world was sustained by all human beings. And therefore, So they would receive the reward for keeping the Zion Mitzvot and also for sustaining the world. But he thought that that would not work. Right? God has a rooting interest. And that would not actually sustain the world. And if the, so if the world depended on uh, for its existence on their fulfillment, 
So then, God's not going to be able to keep his promise not to bring another Mabul. He has to destroy the world again. So now, the Zion Mitzvahs just become a prescription. This is good for you. And therefore, you don't receive the same reward as a Mitzvah Ve'oseh, meaning Mitzvah um, right, where the purpose of doing it is not for the reward, um, but the purpose of doing it is because it is the right thing. The purpose of doing it is it's the right thing to do. Rather, as if they were not commanded over and above the self-interest involved in doing it. So God becomes the impersonal doctor, and he's not commanding them to keep the Zion Mitzvot because he has an interest in the preservation of Zion Mitzvot. He's just uh, being the benevolent expert and telling them what will help them, what will not do them. But when it comes to the Jews, because that's what sustains the world um, uh, sustains the world is an interesting interpretation of that's what schar mitzvah mitzvah means um, right? God wants the Jews to receive schar right? so really the schar mitzvah is, the, right, is fulfilling the deeper desire of God which is the sustaining of the world um Okay, then he also says, right, should be, um, which is not entirely on the same axis, it seems to me worth figuring out. So when a Jew suffers, so there's a, right, so there's a Gemara that tells you that the Shekhinah Omeret, Kalani Roshi, this is the statement that God quotes from Rabbi Meir after he agrees to quote Rabbi Meir again after the story of uh, Elisha ben Avuya, uh, when, when, right, when he refuses to quote Rabbi Meir. And then he's convinced by the whole thing with the metaphor that I, you know, I, 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 uh, I still have to sit and I eat the fruit. Um, so the Shekhinah says when a Jew, when the Shekhinah uh, has a headache when a Jew suffers. So therefore, being punished because it causes pain to God, so doing something that gets you punished, then gets you punished, which is and being punished is itself a transgression because it causes pain to God. Right, the mitzvot are in fact the things that heaven and earth are built out of and that are sustained by. Right, so im means as a request because because God is if it were possible. Okay, so let's play this out now um, theologically. So what Nitziv says is, it doesn't make any sense that people could do mitzvot and not get rewarded, and they're commanded and they don't get rewarded as if they're commanded. That can't be. So it has to be that you get the reward you're supposed to get if you're commanded. But he says there's a meta-command. So the meta-command is that uh, is that God wants you to do the mitzvot because there's something that God gets out of your doing the mitzvot, which is the sustaining of the world. And so if you do that, right, that's like the toys that the doctor gives their uh, the doctor gives their patient. And um, 
and right and right and, and presumably also right doctor might spank their kid if they refuse to take if they refuse to take their medicine or take away their gaming privileges whatever culturally relevant metaphor uh you want whatever time right whatever time you're talking about um so the um not really going to oppose spanking right uh but it, it wouldn't wouldn't be out of place in a classical in a classical metaphor um the um so that, right that's so that's that's what right so it's that adi the additional responsibility the Jews have of sustaining the world which gives God an interest in our doing mitzvot that enables us to get greater rewards so there's an interesting thing like what is the difference in this theology between Jews and non-Jews in this theology right it's it's sort of interesting because you could say we're playing out banim lamakom Jews are God's children so God cares more um but the truth is he doesn't say that the Jews are God's world, which is what you would play the metaphor out, uh, play the metaphor out, um, re really, if you'd play, play the metaphor out perfectly, you would say, so Jews are God's children, so as long as Jews exist, God, right, God, God's world is sustained. He doesn't say that. He says that Jews are, Jews are instrumental in mitzvot. It's not Kantian. God wants Jews to do the mitzvot because that way God's Shemayim Ba'aretz is sustained. So we might have challenges theologically on that ground, that it, that it makes Jews into means uh, not ends as well, um, and then we could challenge it the other way and say, right? If we b if we take Sam's perspective, that it doesn't really mean that God is indifferent to what um, to what non-Jews do, right? Because doctors really want, um, right? Doctors really want um, patients to be healthy, as right as you know, Sam said. That's why we run to the fields. We want patients to be healed. So maybe we don't have to take it quite as harshly. As Mitziv says it, instead of focusing on the his depiction of the impartial doctor, we talk about the limits and what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, and what God does is He enters into an intimate relationship with Klal Yisrael that enables more interference with autonomy. Um, right, that you know that God can offer us toys, um, which He can't. Right, it would be inappropriate to offer toys uh, to everybody else, and maybe right. Uh, that I think would be a, a really interesting theological uh, approach. That um, it's not a question, you know, that that we can understand the idea of that relationship. But then again, you know, it has it's the idea of conversion um, implies that every human being has the right to choose to enter into that relationship with God if they want. Um, but it's not that God values some types of people uh, more than others. Um, still, you're left with the notion that. Um, but you know, I don't think there's any way to avoid it. In some way, there's a different relationship between Jews and non-Jews. It does, I think, give an elegant solution to the question of what it means to reward them as if they were not Mitzvah V'oseh. It gives you a whole radical new explanation of Mitzvah V'oseh. Right? Uh, Mitzvah V'oseh is not to do it because God commanded it to you. It's to do it because God wants you to fulfill His command. Right? The Mitzvah V'oseh is not right, is to... There, it's there to be a will of God in there beyond this being good for you. Right? It doesn't want to do it without solving, the, you know, with with the um, with the not totally indifferent doctor. We would say, right, that um, the doctor is telling you this because this is good for you, and the doctor wants things that are good for you. Right? That's one kind of doctor. And then there's a doctor who doesn't only want things that are good for you. The doctor wants things that will, right, wants things that will result from good things happening to you. I think that, right, that's that, that's the ambivalence I have around it in a sense. I guess that there are, uh, and here I should always thank um, 
thank my friend Jeff Fisher for uh, introducing to me this idea that there are always that metaphors uh, often or always have gaps. It might be that this is from Sidney Peters, but I don't think so. Um, and what's really interesting about a metaphor is not the places where the metaphor matches perfectly, but the places where the metaphor doesn't match perfectly, because that's where you can see what the person is trying to convince you of. Um, so here are the places the metaphor doesn't match are A, the wholly impersonal doctor, which doesn't match either our vision of doctors or perhaps the vision we want to have of God's relationship to non-Jewish mitzvot. And on the other hand, the, um, the metaphor of the doctor, the doctor's world being sustained is because the kid lives, not because the kid will build him a palace. And here, the God's world is sustained because God's world is sustained. Um, it's the second step. So, but right. So, and in those gaps, I think are the the differences between a theology of chosenness that is. I think I'd have trouble with a theology in which uh, God is indifferent to the performance of a Shevet Mitzvot. Uh, you know, whereas I'm much more open to a theology where intimacy allows um, the breaking of of boundaries that are legitimate, uh, but because there's intimacy, those boundaries are no longer necessary. Um, of course, none of this explains like why, you know, w- on why God can decide or does decide. Well, the world used to depend on this, and now it depends on that, right? So that sounds like we're changing the rules in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, the world should depend on whatever the world was intended to depend on. Why can't it depend on both, right? And that way, the world is much more likely to survive if it can, right? If if it can survive, if either Jews keep Karyak mitzvot or non-Jews keep Shevet mitzvot. Um, so we could read it that way. That um, that you know that it doesn't it diminishes responsibility only in the sense that now just Jews doing it is enough, uh, and that's different than a theology that only what Jews what Jews do matter. We could come up with uh, modern metaphors about primary and secondary insurance. Um, so I think there's a lot of there's there's a lot to play with actually. Um, I think it um, I think there is space there, but I think it requires a great deal of uh, formation to figure out exactly where it will come out in a way that uh, would make me comfortable. Um, adopting it. Okay, what are your reactions to um, to the theological uh, the theological uh, the nimshal after we went through the mashal? Yes, Marty. Um, so that's right. You know, it's a fair question because you know, we know what it means emotionally to say you're my whole world, uh, right? So the, but again, the problem is that Nesiv's metaphor is off. So you know, I can give you you know language which talks about you know the, you know all of existence all 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 the differentiation in existence would vanish, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with in some kind of cataclysm, uh, or I could tell you to model, but I don't really know. Um, you know, I, I don't really. Uh, that that would require a you know a sort of confidence in metaphysics that I don't that I don't that I don't have.
yeah, so I may not have been clear. Let me, let me, I think, I think, and I think you're right, but let me, let me clarify at least my, what, what I think the Ksiv says is there's the ordinary Sfar Mitzvah, which is, it's good for you, and then there are the toys, whatever the toys are here, right, Shashuim, which, whatever the, the, whatever the extra, whatever the extra reward Jews get for it, that's what that is, and then there's the sustaining of the world, which is why we get the rewards, right, because we have sustained the world, and that's what God wants, uh, right, and I say that's the, that's the gap in the metaphor, right? Because the doctor just wants the kid to stay alive. That is his world. Now, you could try and bridge it, which is what you're looking for, and say that somehow the real ultimate schar we get is also the toy we get is the world, in a sense, right? That, that, right? that would be the way to combine them, and I imagine that there is a way to do it on, a, uh, um, on, on some higher level of abstraction, but you're entirely right that I didn't pull that off in this year, and that to make it work better, you would have to try and find a way to do that. Excellent. Okay. Right question. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, okay. Uh, anybody else? Um, okay, then. So there